0: talk about it
1: hello and welcome to another episode of thick radio the gaming podcast where we talk about gaming and everything in its orbit i'm james and i'm tim let's get into
0: it Today we're joined by a special guest, you know them, you love them, it's Mike.
2: Hey! How are you, hon? I am exhausted because work has just been buried.
1: (laughs) You know what, I think a few people have said this week, this week for some reason is a tiring week. It is quite a, I, I don't know what it is in the zeitgeist, but this week, hectic for a lot of people, so I feel you there.
0: Normally, I would see if Mercury was in retrograde, but I forgot to do that, so I I don't know why this week has been so terrible.
1: We'll blame it on Mercury in retrograde. Fucking Mercury, that bitch.
0: Oh, this is just a precursor to my next couple weeks.
1: (laughs) Oh, Lord. So, I mean, are you you comfortable disclosing what it is you do for work?
2: I uh, work for a LED department for a sign company.
1: Okay, so... so putting up big billboards with lots of, lots of flashing lights, basically.
2: Yes and no. Uh, I work in the LED department. So, in, so my job is those big giant LED signs. So the LED signs that you see on businesses, I work and repair and service those. Right. Okay. And it's a very interesting, very hands-on job. And it's also other, there's other things involved like RGB lighting, like the neon tubes that you see in buildings and things like that. I'm learning all that. Uh, there's all sorts of interesting things going on. So it's it actually a very fun job, and I'm I would have to say I am lucky to get a job before even New Year's Eve. Mm. I was one of the lucky few.
1: I I can imagine the the working situation in the world at the moment. You know, I think uh, counting blessings when there's a job and there's an income is definitely. Uh, Definitely the way of things. So the next time I see like a little flashing neon sign and there's like that one letter that's a little bit fuzzy, you're the guy I need to call.
2: No more of if you see a uh, an LED sign with random pixels that are out or say a whole section is out, that's something that I'm that I would do.
1: Well, that's uh, interesting because the largest one in the world is actually here in London, I believe. It's the one at Piccadilly Circus. It's like the size- I've seen that. Yeah, the size of the building wraps all around. So listen, any pixels get out of line. I'm sending you a message. I'll say, get here right now. I want you to this. Get this sorted. You're the man for the job. So, Timbo, what are we talking yes. about today?
0: We are talking about something that um, is very near and dear to my heart. It's obesity and weight gain in cartoons from the 1990s. Uh, Uh, as a 90s kid I watched you know pretty much everything that was made for kids at the time so we're talking about you know Saturday morning cartoons and the Disney afternoon and you know pretty much any media that came out during that whole decade I consumed most of it so I feel like I have quite a bit to say about this topic
1: (laughs) fantastic and listen Mike as our you know guest of the day I'm gonna say you're a big fan of cartoons from the 90s
2: Yes, but it depends on which cartoons, because I didn't grow up with Cable, per se. I grew up with Cable very spottily in my history. Mm -hmm. I actually watched a lot of the old retro cartoons also. So like Tom and Jerry, all the Looney Tunes, all of those really old classic American
1: stuff. Oh, Hanna-Barbera, like the Flintstones and the Jetsons.
2: Exactly. I grew up a lot on that. But of course, you had your typical Nickelodeon shows in the 90s like two i remember watching two angry beavers hey arnold all that and then on cartoon network i watched dexter's dexter's laboratory mike lou and Og. the like i was more of a cartoon network kid though
1: it's so interesting because obviously as an australian my repertoire of like how the categories got broken down is obviously very very different um but tim what kind of what kind of cartoons did you watch
0: so uh, my parents didn't really need to babysit me as a kid because the only thing they needed to do was sit me down in front of the television and turn on the Disney Channel because then I wouldn't move for like seven or eight hours. Uh, so I grew up on you know the Disney uh, brand of cartoons that came out in the 90s, which there was a whole slew of, of shows that were aimed at kids that uh, I also got to see a lot of the classic Disney stuff. Um, I was a partial Nickelodeon fan. I didn't watch nearly as much of that. And then, like I said, every Saturday morning, ABC would run a huge block of kids programming called One Saturday Morning. Uh, When I would get home from school, Disney had their programming called the Disney Afternoon. So, yeah, I pretty much lived in front of the television from the age of six to like 12.
1: It was very different in Australia. Like you'd have Saturday Disney, which is when you'd see the Disney stuff. It was only one day a week. Um, and obviously, it would be just all the cartoon shows back to back, do to do to do. do, do. Um, during the week, so I don't know how it works in America, but during the week, you'd have um, oh God, what was it? It was called Cheese TV. And it was kids' morning TV that would start at seven o'clock in the morning and would run till about 8 30 when parents were like shooing you out the door to get to school on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember the lineup would always be things like it would be Sailor Moon. Pokemon, Digimon, Dragon Ball Z. Sounds Sometimes. like something
2: like a tsunami.
1: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Then afternoon would be more like the Wild Thornberries, Rugrats, uh, more than Nickelodeon kind of stuff. Normally, like SpongeBob SquarePants. Although that took off so quickly, it like replaced everything in morning programming as well. Oh God, I know. Tell me about it. Fucking SpongeBob SquarePants. <clears throat> like you do the laugh thing when you hit your your Adam's apple. You get ah, like it's just. <laughs> ugh
2: i can't do that this fluff kind of prevents that a little bit
1: you do have a luscious beard and of course i, I know one or two things about having a little uh a little bit of luscious little bit of fluff around the around the chin you know it's a bit a little bit of fluffy cushioning i love a bit of that
2: this this is getting trimmed i can't do this this is the as you see it grows poof
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's only so much that one can do hey at
0: least you both can grow a beard i feel left out of this because i can't grow a beard
1: yeah, I mean, I, I can appreciate that. Beards are very in at the moment. And listen, having the uh, the freedom to grow something is obviously very nice. So, 90s cartoons. For me, obviously the way that cartoons were sort of like ingested as an Australian, probably a little bit different to how you guys have approached things. So, I want to hear a little bit more about that. So, you guys had stuff in the morning, stuff in the afternoon. Was it different on the weekends? Was there like... Oh, Yeah. Cartoon there was, was always different cartoon. cartoons on the weekends. So what was kind of the difference there?
0: Like I would get to watch Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego which I think only came on in the weekends and I would get to watch the X-Men cartoon and I would get to watch uh, Inspector Gadget because I think that only came on uh, during the weekends so like weekdays my uh, consuming cartoons was usually like DuckTales Chippendales Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck Tailspin Uh, In the later years, it was like Aladdin, the TV series, Gargoyles, um, Doug. uh, I could just go on and on because they started to rotate certain shows out and new ones in. So, yeah, uh, the weekends were, I don't know, there was something about getting up uh, at 6 a.m., even though you didn't have to, just to plop yourself in front of the uh, TV with a box of cereal and a carton of milk and... (laughs) and just and just veg for 12 hours (laughs) i
2: only had a brief window of period in my childhood where i actually did what you just described the rest of the times i either slept till about nine o'clock on the weekends and if it was nice out, i went outside i was one of those kids that was sent outside
0: and to a degree so was i i mean my mother would eventually like hey it's beautiful outside get the hell out of the house I gotta clean or whatever, you know, because that was the days when parents would send you out until the sun went down. So yeah, I, I did spend a fair amount of time outside, but then the minute I got back in, it was back to the Disney Channel. <laughs> so yeah, when you have four kids, it's a little
2: a uh, little wild growing up. Yeah, and I'm the oldest of four, so
1: I I kind of feel that I'm the second of five, so it's a similar situation. I think my parents appreciated me being glued to the TV because I was like. We don't need to worry about this one. We want to find the ones that's like chasing the cat with a knife, and the one that's trying to burn down the house. Like, where are they? You know, like I was the I was the easy kid.
2: <laughs> I was the easier kid. I always like I said. I went outside. I even played out in the snow. Like if it was snowing now, I would be out literally from ten a.m. to sundown, ah. and I would be out playing in the snow.
1: Uh, it always it always makes me laugh to think back. You know, the golden era of uh, kids, cheese TV. Uh, back in australia because you know from 6 6 a.m to 7 a.m they had this um aerobics uh program that would be on <laughs> and they would do it in front of like the sydney harbor uh, the sydney opera house and she these women in like 90s spandex just doing exercises and like it's this memory that every kid of the 90s has because they're like did you ever get up to watch dragon ball z but you end up watching like someone who looked like vaguely like your mom's best friend like doing jazzercise you know it's a
0: It's like a Jane Fonda exercise
1: kind of TV show. It's it's quite funny. And I remember it just everything everything being pastel, everything just being weirdly calm. I don't know. It was just, it was strange. But I also remember like having Foxtel for the first time. And it was in a time when they wouldn't have 24 hour programming. So they would just have like a straight logo of, cartoons will return at six in the morning and for me it was like i remember those days it was midnight and i wasn't sleepy yet so i was like i'm just gonna sit here and wait like a psychopath um but all this talk about 90s cartoon and like how it's all different and how we because we remember those things i think we do we remember like the habits of like getting up in the morning before school and what you would do after school and the way you would spend those weekends with TV and stuff. So I mean, it's it's an interesting thing. Like, do you guys think exposure to the media in in its different ways and shapes um, affects us as we enter puberty?
2: There's no ifs or buts. Uh, I mean, we are children and we are developing minds. We. Don't know, as an adult now, like I'm 30 years old, I, I know the difference between a cigarette and, and its bad at adverse effects, for instance. Mm. It, for instance, the tobacco industry is horrendous for its advertising, for in, anything involved in that route. So media does definitely have an effect on children, on their developing minds. That is 100% true. Media does influence us to an extent. I mean, for instance, racism. Racism is taught. Absolutely. Racism is not inherited, it is taught from an early age. So it doesn't surprise me that even cartoons would have that kind of an influence.
0: Uh, you know, so watching those episodes, because it usually only happened for a single episode, and maybe sometimes it only happened for a couple of seconds within an episode of a character that gains weight suddenly or Mm. it's like a growth scene, or, you know, suddenly becomes morbidly obese, uh, definitely made me feel something, you know, uh, being a child and not yet experiencing puberty, it's not a sexual arousal. But something I guess in your lizard brain gets ticked off and you're like, Oh, wait a minute, wow, I I want to see that again. And, you know, if you had a VCR like I did and taped a lot of this stuff, you'd rewind it back and watch it over and over and over again. And knowing that there's just something about this that's really holding your attention. And then it translates into the real life too, because like I said before, having crushes on some of the chubbier boys that I went to school with and (laughs) thinking like, you know, what if this situation that happened in the cartoon like happened to this guy and how how I would feel about it. And then, you know, once puberty hits, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna say that a lot of those earlier things that I saw as a child in those cartoons shaped a lot of my masturbatory fantasies.
1: (laughs) I mean, no no judgment. I'm sure every single person listening can uh, identify with that reality in some way, shape or form. just circling back quickly uh mike to your point about racism i learned an interesting thing recently that i had no clue about which was that there was a period of course in cartoons where you could label certain characters you know based on race and based on this that the other because that was allowed in programming and then obviously laws were introduced and it was like you can't profile anymore that's inappropriate but then this interesting thing happened where instead of making the allegory about humans with darker skin, they would do this with animals. So that's why you then have this spat of shows where all the characters are anthropomorphic creatures. And then much like in Zootopia, you know, a Disney film from recent years, you know, you would divide them into carnivores and herbivores, and then you would divide them into animals, you know, who were seen as, you know, more, uh, what, more stupid or more this or more that. And they would treat them in a certain type of fashion that would essentially code in a young child's brain when you see this kind of attitude repeated, you are to translate this into other people. And so it's all that kind of nasty negative narrative, which is super interesting because then it makes me think if people had to be underhanded when it came to that kind of stuff, things were so overt with weight gain in 90s cartoons. Like I think most cartoons from like the 80s and before, like maybe there was the occasional episode where these things happen, but I can think of at least 10 different TV shows that I watched as a kid where, for some reason, hardly ever disclosed the characters would be randomly fat, you know? And sometimes it would be big and blubbery. Sometimes it would just be like a perfect circle. But for some reason, they were fat. And then by the next episode or by the end of the episode, they were back down to normal as if nothing had happened. And I don't know. I wonder if there's something in the because it would always happen in the cartoons, right? I wonder if there's something in the, the snap change, you know, the fact that they were thin, now they're massive, and now they're back down to thin again. If there's something in that immediate transformation that triggers the effect in our minds, because of course, weight gain, you only see over time naturally. So how can you appreciate it in a 30 minute window? God, got to make it nice and quick. Um I don't know, it's, it's those kind of psychological questions that bubble around in your mind. And if there's a psychologist listening who has maybe done some research on this, and I hope out of the entire gaming community, one person has taken it upon themselves to research this by now, um, please feel free to get in touch with us with resources and articles and anything you have uh, explaining why this is the case. Just putting that out there to the world. Can you remember the first time A chubby character grabbed your attention in a cartoon from the nineties.
2: See, I can't pinpoint those memories specifically because I also padded as a kid too.
1: Oh, you padded?
2: Yes, Uh, even from an early age, I did.
1: Oh wow! So padding for you was—I—I think with most people, pillows and you know sheets and blankets and things stuffed into jumpers to make you as big and bulky as possible. What? informed that do you remember when that fascination began what sort of clued you into wanting to pat
2: not into that but i can narrow it down to an age range which is at least eight
1: at least eight and i mean at eight years old you know yes it's potential for you know people to become sexual at ages i think eight and upwards these days like you you can become sexually active from that age but you know, for the most part at that age, we're prepubescent. We don't have the testosterone and the estrogen causing through us to sexualize such concepts. It's one of those things, isn't it? Where you think, yes, we sexualize it now as adults and we know what we're doing, but when we were kids, it wasn't sexual. It wasn't that it was something. It was a good feeling. It was a good feeling, but I mean, I, I mean maybe I did have a hard dick I I don't know I don't yeah. think I did but I like, like it was
0: it was like a, a butterflies in your stomach kind of thing you know like mm. you just were like fascinated you know and I don't I'm not saying that correlated to you getting an erection at 8 years old or anything but it's like something kind of woke up you know is the way that I could describe it it's like it's not a sexual awakening it's just like uh I, I truly believe that fetish has become a part of your sexual dna at some point and mm-hmm. it's there's i don't know if there's a single triggering event or if it's a conf- conflagration of triggering effects but uh yeah i it's just something that
1: i knew even then i wanted to pay attention to it who are the characters or what are the shows and the specific examples of the rapid obesity, the cartoon obesity, the padding, all of that? What are the examples that first come to mind when you think of that?
2: I remember an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. I remember it. It's like a Halloween movie. I remember that when Alvin gets real big. That's one of the few scenes that really stick in my mind.
1: What about you, Tim?
0: Oh, where to start, and how much time do we have? Uh, um,
1: <laughs> but like, who's the first? Who like uh, the first oh. one that I
0: can clearly, clearly remember, but which actually sparked two different fetishes at the same time? Um, was an episode of Garfield and Friends. Uh, so you know, Garfield is already a fat cat, but there was an episode where he had a nightmare. That he couldn't stop eating. And he just kept eating and eating. And they, they show this whole montage of him just consuming massive amounts of food constantly. And then at the end of that, you know, Garfield's standing there and John is going, You got to stop eating, Garfield. You're getting bigger. And then he would grow and bigger and he would grow again and bigger and he would keep growing. Well, he outgrew the house. So it kind of sparked both a gaining fetish and a macrophilia fetish at the same time. <laughs> which was very confusing. <laughs>
2: I'm still coming to terms with that because I know to an extent, like when people role play, I'm not like, I know it in a, a line with the macro fetish there for me, I know I skirt those lines occasionally because it's like, Ooh, that, I like that, but not that. And it's very niche line that I hit.
0: I was also going to mention, uh, I think I've told this one before. It was an episode of Animaniacs and it was, uh, it was a parody on Star Trek, it was called Star Truck. And uh, it had the original cast of Star Trek, so it had Scotty, but you know, in the original cast, Scotty was thin. And uh, when the Warner Brothers and Dot get there, I can't remember if it was Yakko or Wacko, but one of them hands him a donut and says here, this is gonna be really important to your future. And he eats it and gets instantly addicted and he goes to the replicator and he has the replicator just make him hundreds of donuts like they're just flying out of the replicator into his mouth and he keeps growing and growing and like outgrowing his uniform
1: as he's eating. Like that one is burned into my brain. And and you know what, I would I would genuinely challenge listeners, find us the TV show, the cartoon TV show of the 90s where they did not have a magic weight gain episode. I actually do remember another, it wasn't a, it was, it wasn't a show, but it was a live
2: action movie and it was a Disney film. I do remember that. I think it was about some magic tennis shoes or something like, like that. Just if I remember correctly, but there was, I think it was towards the end of the movie and the guy is just sitting there eating spaghetti and just keeps eating and eating and eating spaghetti. And he's just speed eating this spaghetti. Like as you see that my hand whirring like this, he's whirring like this into his mouth with spaghetti and then finally they turn off the shoes or whatnot. They they hit the remote to turn off and his belly is just keeps growing and growing and growing because he just ate all this pasta without stopping.
1: Interesting. It sounds like an episode actually of an Australian uh, kid show called Round the Twist where that actually happened. So the typical plot was you had these kids and all these weird wacky things happen to them usually with some kind of magical enchanted item that washes up on the shore. Uh, and in one episode they find a remote which similarly to the movie click it can help people rewind fast forward whatever uh and there's like the bullies right and the bullies they find this remote because they're doing some kind of spaghetti pig out uh for a fundraiser and so what they do is they get the the big dumb (laughs) who's going to do the thing He's sitting there in his gingham and he's eating and they press the pass forward. He's just going, And it gets to a point where the spaghetti, he's not even moving his hands, it's just flying into his mouth. And all the parents are leaning back, going, Oh my God, oh my God. And they snatch the remote off the bullies and they're like, Stop, he don't know what it's gonna do. And they stop. And he's just sitting there going, and you know. It's, it's quite a, a gross moment when he just chucks up all of that spaghetti over there. They
2: actually did not do that. I know what you're talking about. And we are talking about the same exact thing.
1: But in your Disney movie, there was no throw up.
2: There was. It was oh, like it was. at a credits kind of, it was like literally at the tail end of it. And they did like a cut when they went back to it. They had the spaghetti like plop onto like the parents or something like that.
1: Oh, Gross. No, and you know, it's interesting, not to king because I know some people are a little bit into the concept of eating to the point of um, exploding exploding, or evacuating one's stomach contents all over other people. Uh, not a personal fave, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that even those moments are there for people. The examples that come to mind for me is like Lilo and Stitch, because they did a TV show and like one of the aliens was like a chef that would make fattening food, and his evil purpose was to like fatten up the citizens of any planet so that it would be easy to invade. Uh, and there was like an episode of Doug where he was feeling very body conscious, and so he's slim, but and on the diving board when he takes off his singlet, it's just this huge blubbery mess that happens. Jalen um, Showdown was another one that was like a cartoon one. Tons and tons and tons of examples. I wanna, I wanna query because I think I, like I have a suspicion about this. Do you think that those episodes and concepts came about just because adults and creators thought it was funny or because there were secret fetishists in the cartoon studios? Because I'm, I'm personally thinking there were some secret fetishists pulling the strings and making shit happen. I got two,
2: I'm at three words for you to sum up 90s cartoons: Ren and Stimpy. <laughs>
1: I never watched Ren and Stimpy. I missed Oh, out. you missed out.
2: Oh okay. So you have if you ever do end up get the chance to watch it. I mean, this is in the 90s, and they got like they got away with so much with Ren and Stimpy. And I mean, it got to the point where they even banned one specific episode because it was so graphic. Oh wow. It, wow. it it's a really <laughs>
0: it got raunchy it got uh crazy i mean this i i don't know how the censor board didn't have a cow over that show because i you know even as a kid watching it i was like oh wow (laughs) they're really going there and i mean
2: for rocco's modern life rocco worked at a sex hotline
1: did he yes i completely forgot about that (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh actually like realizations like the 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 rugrats the grandpa was a fucking seedy bitch because every scene where he was like meant to be watching over the kids he had open like a, a Diddy porn mag and like stew you know uh the inventor was basically like had depression it was like suicidal because there were like several scenes where like dd the wife would come out and be like why are you making pancakes at three in the morning and his response is because i've lost the will to live <laughs> I, think, like, I think we
2: all relate to that right now
1: like yeah that that's my life but i'm also looking at all of this like how did we never see this and that's always the interesting thing rewatching cartoons as adults especially the ones that you loved as a kid just just how different things are honestly Even, i mean
2: i grew up on a very uh even before cartoons, I didn't watch a cartoon up until I was five. I watched a very um graphic film to the point where I wore out the tape. Uh, and I don't think, uh Pink Floyd The Wall the 80s oh movie. okay yeah. Is that the Devon
0: film? Huh? No, you're thinking Pink Flamingos. Oh, not Pink Floyd. Okay,
2: like there was an actual uh, movie adaptation. Uh, Pink Floyd wasn't very impressed with it anyway, but. Uh, I grew up watching that film up until I was about five because the tape it was done. The tape was done. And I did not watch that show until about 20 years later. Needless to say, my childhood was shattering in front of my face. Have you seen the movie, Tim?
0: I have not. I have heard plenty about it because I have friends that are really into Pink Floyd, but I have not actually seen it myself.
2: There is a scene where there's a flower caressing and an animation of that line it's an obvious adaptation about sex about foreplay and sex you the libby like the clitoris the whole thing and you're just like my jaw is dropping at this because i remember as a kid like oh this is so cool and now i'm like oh my god that's not so innocent anymore
1: (laughs) yeah some of the moments when you revisit things but i mean you know that brings up an interesting question you know like um is it still strange be turned on by obesity in cartoons and in kids shows as an adult like is is that weird? Should we be concerned about that? what are your thoughts?
2: At some level I think I mean another word comes to mind fan art <laughs> and what's that what's that rule of the internet a uh, rule 30 something
1: Oh like if you think of it it exists
2: yeah. There's always going to be at that level because when you look at things statistically too, there is just under eight billion people plant uh, billion people on the planet just under that. Statistically, that has to be possible.
1: I don't know if it's strange, but I think your point about fan fiction and fan art is actually pretty on the nose. Like, what is a kid's cartoon other than a drawing that's marketed towards kids? But you know like what and drawn by
0: adults drawn
1: by adults you know like a film as somebody who studied film and television you know all produced media has codes and conventions that it follows that's why we like it that's why it makes sense to us so it would make sense that to create sexualized constructs to create things that we become obsessed with as children that brings us back looking for more, 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 more. That adults, knowing that kids are wired to look at those things would subliminally include that in the products that are catered towards us. So it makes sense. I, I don't think there's anything wrong or weird about it. It's like Avatar The Last Airbender was one of my favourite shows as a kid when I was in high school. I got the pleasure of re-watching it recently and I loved it just as much. Because it's still a great show. Steven Universe, I think a lot I of
2: just actually finished that for the first time.
1: Such a great show. I think a lot of people glomped onto it because it's such an amazing expression of queerness and love and positivity. And
2: my me- my boyfriend was actually surprised about that. Um he uh, he's on Spectrum, as I am I, but he's on a different end of the spectrum. And but he has a lot of friends who are also on spectrum and one of his friends is uh, gender fluid Mm -hmm. and with the for with shows like steven universe because i watched it with him and he actually enjoyed it Mm -hmm. i didn't think he would because we're very we're intellectuals we we watch a lot of educational stuff Mm. a lot (laughs) and he actually was like i understand one of my friends a lot better and he's like i i asked him like what do you mean he's like well i understand now about when you wake up feeling like a man and the next day you feel you wake up like you feel like you're a woman Mm. or a female
1: yeah like i think it's shows that are made for children made to educate them in the way that they need to but then we as adults who see value in it you know we still take from it so obviously in that regard from that we're taking a sense of learning and a sense of wholesomeness and from cartoon and other media, we're taking sex. We're taking uh, obsession and fascination with however we do that. Um, what are your thoughts, Tim? Uh, two things. I
0: definitely know that there must be secret fetishists writing in children's media. And I, I have an example, not not from the 90s, uh, believe it or Ooh. not. Actually, from the, I want to say 2010s. It's, uh, have you ever seen Teen Titans Go?
1: Oh, that's a Teen Titans remake? No. Didn't
0: yeah. Miss- So there was an episode where they, it was called Smile Bones, and it was a stupid title. But um, the whole point of the episode was like... I think it was Beast Boy because he's kind of the glutton of the group. Was just consuming food without even trying to like chew it, taste it, anything. He just wanted to consume as much food as possible, right? So he convinces all of the others to start doing the same thing. So they all just start chowing down and eating all this food, and like it actually shows their bellies growing as they as they're doing it. Well, Beast Boy and Cyborg take it too far. They just keep eating and eating and eating, and they get huge and round, and then weirdest fucking thing ever their bellies actually become sentient and take over them and grow to enormous sizes and start attacking the town like godzillas and i'm like okay that fetishist wrote this come on this is not just like what was the point of this episode there was no point this was a fetishist just sowing seeds among the youth like here you go children this will come back to haunt you in 10 to 15 years.
1: Listen, God bless them, you know, doing the Lord's work, instilling in the new generation of gainers. Um, thank you oh so much. You know, it's like Zootopia. A lot of people were looking at the fox being like, I don't know why I'm so fascinated by this character. And it's like, give it five to ten years. It'll it'll come back round to you.
2: See, I... When it comes to the shows like Zootopia, now I'm also in the furry community. As as my boyfriend, me, I have. When it comes to gainer art, I, I'm often not, I'm not out there as in per se, but I often seek out gainer art in the furry form, and I really like it. So, mm. cartoon stuff definitely does affect at some level.
1: I I actually want to ask if if you're comfortable to speak on this because you say that both you and your partner are on the spectrum you know, can I maybe inquire a little bit what that experience is like gaining whilst being on the spectrum? I mean, is it is it much of an effect? Is that something that you have to factor in how you approach gaining?
2: This is where I approached it. I approached it more of a very logical, straightforward standpoint. Right. I had to, I looked at the pros and cons. I looked at what was ex- at the time because I made this decision briefly in high school I was 19 so I mean I was technically legal end quote. <laughs> but I was in high school and I do remember being on MySpace before Grommer even came out uh, and I think I found Bigger City after that and then not long after that my friend showed me Grommer so I never liked myself I when I looked at myself in the mirror I did not like how I looked and it bothered me on a deeper level than it just bothered me I hated it. It, it, it. I looked at myself, I'm like, Ugh. it took a while because my professions and jobs did prevent that. Yeah, I was an unloader at a Walmart, uh, so a lot of manual labor. And then, then what got me really going after that was I switched to IT. And the weight really piled on after that. Uh, I reached my highest of around 254-ish. Beautiful. Judging by my photos, I gained a little bit more the month later and then I dropped because uh in 2016, I went through a very dark period in my life and I had to do really a lot of soul search. One of the things was I want to be happy as who I am as a person. And I like I like when I was bigger. I really liked it. It made me feel comfortable with myself. Yeah, I know where the downfalls are. Yeah, I know where my health is exaggerated a little bit. And to be honest, I'm going to (laughs) suffer. I have quite a few ailments that a couple of them are quite going to, they're going to be painful in the next 10 years. It's more of, I accepted it and I approached it in more of a literal sense as in, I want to be happy with myself. What's the pros and cons behind it? Is it worth it? And to me, it was. I am very happy with myself where I've gone. To be honest, having a very supportive partner definitely helps. Yeah, uh, my my previous agree. partner, which I was single for four years, so I stayed single for a very long time. Uh, my previous partner was not very supportive and they gonna... would try to push it away and things like that. He knew I was into it. I told him, but he never he, he would actively try to stop it, which did upset me, which I contribute to the eventual 2016 era of my life. <laughs>
1: I want to I ask, as someone who, you know, as far as I'm aware, doesn't have any major disabilities, doesn't have any, you know, bits and bobs going on for myself in that regard, I don't personally see a lot of conversation that goes on about those types of things in the community. Is that something that you have access to? Is that something that you see and we're just missing it? Or is it missing from the conversations out there?
2: To be honest, when it comes to disability in the community, I mean, I, I honestly don't see myself disabled but I'm still coming to terms with my autism. I wasn't told this until about three years ago by my mother. And apparently this information was kept for me since I was in elementary school. So I am still coming to terms with this this kind of disability because to be honest, it would have helped me later on. Like it would have helped if I would have known this information because the resources, I mean, we grew up in the internet. We grew up in the age, like us 90 kids, we grew up in the age of without the internet, so we know how to obtain the internet, pro- like information prior, and that information wasn't there at the time. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a small town, so there was only limited resources available.
1: That, that makes perfect sense. Um, I want to ask, you know, as someone who, as you say, is coming to terms with your own disability, what do you want to see out of the community in terms of resources and support?
2: Well, there's like a couple of people that I know on Instagram who fall on the spectrum who are bigger guys. And they, they say they're also on spectrum and that's actually very nice to see yeah. to them to be open and forward about it. Because another thing that I, I have noticed I shared with them, there was a, there was a similarity I shared between all three of them. And to be honest, so it's nice to know that there's other people out there like me who think, who have the same line of thinking. I mean, I've been on the game, like, I, for instance, I, like I said, I've been on Gromer since it practically launched. I've just been hiding in my little corner. <laughs> but the in the process, I have gathered very, very wonderful friends through the process. When it comes to disability, I mean, I don't see that. Like with my boyfriend, he's like he's extremely communicative. So that's the hindrance that we have is we have even, when it comes when I mean by coming to terms is we are we don't look at body language the same as neurotypical people and when you're explaining like when you're explaining things we're thinking things literal logically down to the t if you if we're missing a piece of that puzzle we are jamming that piece in the same spot repeatedly until we know until we get a new piece of information that fits there
0: so would your advice be to people that maybe have not had a lot of exposure or time around people who are on the spectrum to like when we're speaking to someone who who is on the spectrum should we like don't use metaphors don't use idioms don't use slang like
2: it, it's it be depends direct? because some of them like for me sometimes i'll catch it yeah because at work it happens all the time where things are just so whoop, way over my head yeah it happens all the time and i mean yeah they laugh about it i laugh about it because it, to me it's a little it, it gets me a little chuckle it gets and and to be honest for me I am I am a very uplifting happy person in general.
1: You want to be a part of the joke rather than
2: Yeah, I am not I take very little offense to things because I mean everything and anything to me is fair game. Wow. If you can't laugh at yourself, why laugh at others? And I mean, I could be told some very I could be called the most awful things And that's another thing with autism is like I I move on from things very quickly because Mm -hmm. I process that information differently. So when we have when we when you're like like doing things and say like metaphors and things like that, if we are not around that a lot, we won't grasp that. Okay. we may we may wonder we may look at you puzzledly. Real quick until it click or or with me until it clicks, or I'll just fly over the head.
0: Gotcha. Sure. <laughs>
2: it, sounds- it some people it's different. Some like for me it's just what.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean it. It sounds to me like maybe for people who maybe experience life on the spectrum or other disabilities, it's good to find people who you are akin with, people who you can relate to and understand yourself in a gaining context with people who understand that aspect of yourself Um, which I would imagine is the same with any other kind of unifying factor you know it's people who understand these other elements of you and how it all interplays what I want to ask next is um, because obesity as an epidemic especially among the youth of the world we're starting to see people take more strong measures against Sugar in drinks, foods that are permitted to children, the way food is marketed to children, even characters who are overweight or obese the way they're portrayed, you know. For example, Santa Claus. When was the last time you actually saw in a movie a fat Santa? Because now Santa is big and muscular. Or he like the Kurt Russell in the Christmas Chronicles, where he's you know trimmed maybe with a tiny pop belly, but for the most part he keeps in shape. The the weight is largely exaggerated for some reason. I want to ask you guys just in relation to this: what do you think is going to happen in kids' media in terms of we've had this heyday of the '90s, things are still happening now. Where do we think that's going to go in terms of obesity?
2: Because of how I was raised as a kid, I'm a firm believer of send him right. <laughs> <laughs> to be and. In- I'm going to be sound, I'm going to sound extremely ageist and extremely biased, but this is, I'm 30 years old. Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience, but I have a lot of blue collar experience in temp work. Younger generations to me, they need a bit more structure in their life. I, I like I said, I was a kid that was sent right outside. I never want, I, I, cable was on and off in my life often. And for, I would have to say for a good chunk of it, I grew up without cable. I watched a lot of movies on VHS, DVDs and all that stuff as a kid. But we know I never watched a lot of TV and I contribute that to my upbringing, which has made me extremely humble in my own ways.
1: So it sounds to me like what you're saying is what you predict for the future of, you know, gaming in kids cartoons is largely irrelevant because maybe what's needed for the younger generation is more physical activity being shown outside, that type of stuff, right?
2: Yes. I I think that they kids like like I said, I look at this kids, you want them to live happy, fulfilling lives. And with I mean, yes, gaining does have downsides. And sometimes gaining has that really deadly downside if you're not careful. I mean, I've had my brush with small health problems, thank goodness. I mean, I've had an inflamed pancreas once. Right. I mean, one day, all of a sudden, you're puking blood. You're just like, oh, so that was my brush. That was one of my only brushes with serious incidents with gaining. So I believe that kids should be raised healthier and not sitting around on their video games.
0: Uh, Fair warning. This is going to be kind of a long answer because I feel like this is a really nuanced kind of situation. Uh, I echo a lot of what Pyros or what Mike said about, you know, we need to be giving more guidance to kids today because they have a lot more access to technology than I did growing up. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 19. Nowadays, kids that are seven and eight have iPhones and sometimes even younger, just because parents want to hand it over to distract the child. Um, You know, we've had like the World Health Organization and other institutions within the United States that are trying to tackle the children's obesity problem. Everything from substituting French fries in a McDonald's Happy Meal to apple slices, and instead of it being a soft drink, they get a little carton of milk. We've had Commercials and PSAs come out on television about how kids need to be more active, that they're spending too much time indoors, they're watching too many screens. But then, on the flip side of all of that, you also have like there is sort of a body positivity consciousness running through a vein of children's marketing. I've seen Barbie dolls in Walmart that are now being marketed to a more body realistic child. You know, like they have uh, Barbies that don't have the cinched waist and the giant boobs and the big hips, you know, now they have barbies that look more like real women. You know, some of them have smaller busts, some of them have larger, some of them have wider midsections, some of them have slimmer hips, wider hips. Uh they're, you know, some of them are pear-shaped. Uh I'm not seeing so much of that in toys or or anything marketed to boys. Because I think that there's this big myth still to this day that men don't suffer from body issues, that like men don't suffer from eating disorders. Men don't have um, insecurities about the way that they look. So boys things are still very much marketed in the way of like, you know, dump trucks and uh, Matco cars and uh, action figures with the ripped abs and the huge muscles. And you're not seeing any realism come in the form of things marketed to young men. Uh, so it's, it's a complicated, nuanced thing. I don't know where the future is headed with this. I would think that body positivity and doctors and world health organizations are going to be clashing for years, years, because if you just take, if you take something as simple as there are three food groups that have been debated on since time immemorial, eggs, milk, coffee. No one can decide whether or not these three things are actually good for you or bad for you. And every couple of years, there's a study that comes out that says milk is terrible for you.
1: There's no reason you I should I was eat.
2: raised on whole milk. So was and I. I was, I was a skinny kid all throughout growing up. Same
1: thing, whole milk, cream milk didn't do dang diddly squat to me. It's, it's interesting. Tim?
0: I mean, the the point is, it's like, so, you know, someone comes out with a study that says that milk is terrible for you. All dairy products are bad. Don't eat them. It's, it's not even, there's no place for them in the food pyramid, blah, blah, blah. Well then that market suffers, right? Because people stop buying the product. So then the the companies that own these products that, you know, manufacture the dairy uh, foods have to hire another doctor who is willing to say that these are good for you. You should have three servings of dairy a day because it'll actually help you lose weight and it will help give you calcium. And uh, coffee, you know, no one can figure out coffee good for you, coffee bad for you. People were coming out, or doctors were coming out and saying, "Oh, coffee's terrible! It's like pouring acid into your stomach." There's no reason you should be drinking coffee. Coffee companies suffer. Another doctor comes out and says, "No, coffee's great for you. It's full of antioxidants. It's it, it, you know, it's it's something that'll help you live longer." You know, it's all this shit that they just keep going back and forth with. I think that it's going to be the same thing when it comes to things that are marketed specifically at children and the question of what is more important, their overall health or the way that they see themselves.
1: I think, I mean, that that's a very difficult one. You know, like in high school, I remember learning about cradle to grave marketing, they called it. And I think it's a concept that came out of the 60s, you know, because at a certain point, you weren't allowed to market products that were considered for children or for babies because the thought of you know, objecting them to marketing poise was seen as demonic how could you do that to a young mind that is a sponge but now it's total we see adverts from before we're young enough to even know what we're looking at to the point where marketing seems as real as gravity you know and all of that goes all the way back to capitalism itself you know the fact that we We want to show things to kids and it's all about producing. And it's that never ending wheel, the the snake that eats its own tail and everything. But the, the thing that I try to hold on to is that for the most part, body positivity is man driven rather than man sold. So the beauty industry, the health industry, the food industry, all of these people trying to say however they want to say things, whether they have valid points or not is irrelevant because they're always going to try and push their point based on what I'm saying is the right thing. Whereas body positivity all comes from, I've heard what you have to say, regardless of what you have to say, I'm prioritizing my sense of self because at the end of the day, what do I care about my health for? Why do I care about my appearance? Why do I care about my diet? Because I am meant to love myself. But if I don't start off loving myself, what is the fucking point? And I think that's where it comes down to. And I think that is where it's good that I think some shows will start to move in that direction. And where I think as individuals, each and every one of us needs to make sure that's where our feet are planted when it comes to gaining in a political and in a social sense. Because that is how when people come to us, with comments, queries, critiques about our weight and our lived experiences, we are then able to speak and say, no, ma'am, this is my truth. This is where I come from. And because it is of me, you don't get to take that from me. That is very powerful in our world to have something that the world cannot take from you. I think we're wrapping up about the end of our show now, so I just want to ask quickly, Mike, do you have anything you'd like to promote?
2: I am awful at that. <laughs> that's it.
1: You, if there's nothing <laughs> to promote. That's fine, girl. Do you have an OnlyFans that you would like to promote?
2: I it will be under the same name. I also do have a Venmo, which I use way more than PayPal because Venmo is more direct.
1: There you go, same so. handle.
2: I. It, basically just google pyro tv fun it's like an online profile
1: there you go so only fans and venmo at pyro tv fun and what social media handles do you actually use like what platforms are you on
2: i am technically on twitter but i do not use it i've only i got on it during black lives matter to uh figure out about my local protests
1: good good good
2: um so i've kept that just for informational purposes because the coronavirus in new york state we had to keep a track of that. So I just keep that for that purpose. So I don't use it, but I'm on my Instagram a lot. I do post a lot of belly photos because it's me and I have a lovely underwear connection collection. So I love showing it off.
1: Very nice. On my Instagram. There you go. Instagram at pyro TV. Fun and listen, everyone, thank you so much for joining us tonight. That's a wrap here on Thick Radio. As always, you can find me on Gromer and Instagram at Stanham and Twitter and YouTube at Stanham G. You can find me on
0: Gromer as Orpheus. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Thicky Mouse. And of course, you can find more of what we've talked about today on Instagram at Thick Radio and on Patreon at Thick Radio. And in case anyone is feeling nostalgic and you would like to go back and view, The scenes or pictures from weight-gaining sequences or fat episodes of your favorite TV show when you were a kid, they are conveniently all collected at bigcartoon.org.
1: There you go. But that's about all we have time for today. So until next time, bye fats. Bye, guys. Night. Let's talk about it. Dick Radio is a Patreon and enter app podcast produced by Stan and Dicky Nuss. Mixed and mastered by Stan. Our artwork is provided by Logizu. Our theme song is provided by Spotify by
0: Cream.